temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 2-2. Two, two. He struck him out on a slider. Liam Hendricks closes up shop, and the Sox have won four straight games on the road trip. I think this amateur scouting department's done a tremendous job for a number of years. I think that the contributions that are coming at every level is significant. Uh, we have great area scouts. We have great supervisors. We have great leadership. The plan of this rebuild was something that Rick and Jerry and Kenny instituted, and we feel good about what we've been able to pull off. When you land in some of the higher picks we've been able to acquire, I mean, they're contributing. And as you said, the makeup's right, the people are right. I mean, we're a first place club and holding our own, even now with the depth of the prospects we were able to acquire in those drafts. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. That is the White Sox scouting director, Mike Shirley talking about what the White Sox have done and how things are looking ahead of the first round of the MLB draft tonight. The White Sox pick 22. The Cubs pick 21. There are a lot of picks before that that are interesting. The whole thing is going to be on TV. It is MLB trying drastically to make the MLB draft viewer material. I am looking forward to what they're doing. It's progressed a little bit more every year. It used to be laughable. I don't think it's going to be laughable tonight. They're going to be in a theater. They're going to be in a theater out there in Colorado with fine representatives of, uh, of every one of these major leagues teams. I mean, my God, folks, Turk Wendell is going to be there to represent the New York Mets. I wonder if he'll be wearing the puka shell necklace. J.J. Hardy will be there for the Orioles. Let's talk some draft. I want to talk about this a little bit with our friend Kevin Goldstein, the fine, fine national baseball writer, longtime Houston Astros executive, now back with us here in the media, who joins us right now on the hotline on Hit and Run. It's the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Kevin, my question is this. When the Diamondbacks call Josh Colmenter, right, and they say – we want you to represent us at the draft. Do you think he's expecting that maybe he's going to get a tryout? You know, like some of these guys are, are, are recent enough. I feel bad. Neil Walker, at least he announced his retirement before he's there representing the Pirates. But some of these guys probably took the phone call and was like, yeah, I would. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yes, I'll do that as well. That's nice. You get a free trip to Denver. You stay in a nice hotel. There's all sorts of all-star weekend parties on, on the house. It's, it's, a, it's a perfectly good weekend. Yeah, I, I guess. But, like, I mean, my goodness. Um, Franklin Gutierrez, death to flying things, is out there for <laughs> Seattle. He could probably still play the outfield. 
Um, but are you looking forward to the television product uh, tonight? I wonder how this is gonna this is gonna go off tonight, Kev. I am. I mean, this is our first time, you know, kind of in a real theater, kind of NFL draft style, if you will. In the past, it's always been at a studio at MLB Networks in New Jersey. Um, I mean, I. I'm old enough to remember when the entire thing from pick one to the end was simply done over a conference call with, with no television. And, and honestly, maybe a decade before that, the whole draft was held in secret. You didn't know you were drafted until the team called you. It could be a week after the draft that, until you know which team selected you. So, uh, you know, we've come a long way. I don't think it'll ever be the, the kind of you know, national event that the NFL or the NBA draft is. That's for a lot of reasons. You know, there's not as much of a footprint for – college baseball as there is for college football and college basketball. And then the other thing is just that, and you know how this is, you know, if the Bears take someone in the first round, he's expected to be a star for him next year. If the Bulls take someone in the first round, this guy's expected to play every day and score 18 a game. You know, come take a high school player, yeah, you might see him in 2025. You know, right. so it's, it's a bit of a different story as far as, you know, what the expectations are for these players. Well, let's talk about that that issue before we talk about some of the specifics. The philo- philosophical choices up top, and really, I guess it, it stands for the for, for the entirety of, of the draft. High school athlete means three, four years minimum. Be comfortable with it. Um, it, it, it do you even look at the organizational depth at a position when you're doing that, or you just take the guy you like? Because a college guy, certainly a college pitcher, and really college college players, they could convert faster. So, so how much uh, organizational pressure is there to think about that philosophically when you're choosing one or the other? I don't think it's nearly as much as a lot of a lot of fans think. It's really not there. I think you simply take the best player on the board and the guy who you think has the best chance to turn to an impact talent for you. Um, I mean, that's what baseball is all about—kind of finding, drafting. Uh, and developing your own impact players um, so you don't have to spend $28 million a year on them in free agency. I mean, that's that's kind of what teams look for in the draft, and so they're going to take the guy with the highest upside, the guy they think can be that player for them. Mm-hmm. Um, these these days, how quickly could a, could a turnaround – uh, or you know, a, a handoff B for a college pitcher. We've seen it a few times. I wonder if that if we're going to see that even this year. Like, are there guys, are there teams looking at the draft thinking I'm going to grab somebody who is going to help me in the fall? Do you allow yourself to even think about it that way? I don't think you do. I, I think it's going to be especially tough this year. I mean, obviously with Garrett Crochet last year, which was a, a perfect case of that. But you know, I think with what we've seen already at the big league level in terms of injuries and and the way players kind of recovered or maybe better did not recover from the weird 2020 is one of the reasons we've seen so many injuries. I think you're going to see a lot of college pitchers get drafted and then just shut down and we'll see you next spring. Um, And teams are not going to try to mess around too much with that. All right. Tell us about the studs at the top here, Kevin, how good are the high school shortstops? Are they all sort of equally special? Does anybody jump out the way that say CJ Abrams did or Bobby Witt jr. Did in previous years? Yeah, it's a phenomenal year for high school shortstops. I, I, you know, there's a there's a big four out there who are probably all going to go in the first ten picks. Um, I, I think the first pick right now is Marcelo Meyer, who's a fantastic player. He's he's six three, the great frame, he's, he's a fantastic left hand swing. There's power potential. He's defensively very flashy. He might not be the twitchiest guy in the world. He's not a big runner, um, but his defensive actions and instincts are outstanding. Um, kind of almost reminds me of a left-handed hitting Carlos Correa. Uh, and, and it's just a, a big kid who can play shortstop. Jordan Lawler uh, was kind of the flavor of the month early in the draft. He's probably going to go now more in the, you know, somewhere in the two to six range. 
Um, and just more of a do-it-all, kind of one of those, those his greatest strengths is the lack of weaknesses. You can't really watch him point out any sort of big flaw in his game. It's not massive tools, but everything is, is, is slightly above average or better than that. The kid can just do it all. Uh, Khalil Watson, high school shortstop from North Carolina, is, is the tools kid. Um, it's it's kind of like it's dynamite in a small package. He's 5'9", but he can run. Uh, he swings the bat like he is. Uh, he's he, like he's Eloy Jimenez. Like this guy takes a giant hack and then and he tends to hit the ball and he has a lot more power to think. Real shortstop, he can really run. And then the guy who's kind of been moving up draft boards and is going to go, I think somewhere in the he could go as high as three, but more likely six to nine is Brady House, who is, is kind of the uh, biggest kid physically. He's a big kid, he's about six four, two twenty. Maybe a third baseman at the end, but he's the guy that it's the best bat. You know, a lot of scouts have put plus hit and plus power tools on him, which is really rare for a high school hitter. Mm, and then of, of the pitchers, really, you know, the the two pitchers I'm seeing in a lot of the mock uh, top tens are both the Vandy guys, are Rocker and, and Leiter, Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter, the son of Al Leiter. Um, and I also see the high school kid Jackson Job in, in there. But, but tell me about the Vandy kids. And it, look, if Rocker ends up being a closer, is that worthy of a top 10 draft pick? Uh, probably not, but I don't think he's a closer. I think he's a starting pitcher, and I think most teams see him as a starting pitcher. But, you know, these two kids entered the spring uh, with a chance of being the, the top two picks in the draft. Uh, at times they looked like it, and at times they had a couple, uh, you know, a couple bumps in the road here and there. Leiter had a couple starts early, or kind of mid-season, where he struggled a little bit. Kumar Rocker, one Friday, one. Saturday night or Friday night, depending on when he's pitching, he either looks like the best pitcher in the draft or a guy you might not take to the late first round. His velocity was a roller coaster. Sometimes he'd be up to 98. Sometimes he'd be up to 93. So you never knew what you were going to get. The 98-mile-an-hour version is awesome. And it's a you know, 6'5", 245 kid, son of a, of a former NFL player. Mm-hmm. And uh, kid's a beast. And on, on the right day, he looks great. Lighter's the more polished version. Um, he can get in the upper 90s. It's more low to mid, uh, outstanding breaking stuff. Really knows how to pitch. This guy's not going to need a lot of time in the minors. You know, Lighter could go anywhere from two to four. Uh, you know, Texas is, is wondering if they'll take him at two. And it's not because they don't want him. It's because they wonder if he'll sign. There's been a lot of indications that he's trying to kind of price himself to Boston at four. Uh, and if that happens, Boston will take him. At, you know, Boston at four is his ceiling. Rocker's a bit of a wild card where he could go. He could also go to Texas at two, and you know his floor is probably more eight or nine. All right, so you just you just referenced something that I'm sure some people don't even realize, like price themselves out. There, it's used to be a much bigger deal. It's much more controlled in terms of how much you actually have to spend. There was a market inefficiency there for a while, where some teams were spending way over the draft slot value in order to to sign their guys. These days, what's the manipulation like? Tell people, you know, what the limitations are and what the possibilities still are for teams to try and manipulate their draft pool financially. Sure, sure. I mean, this is obviously a a little different than we see in in drafts people are more familiar with, where, you know, if you're the seventh pick in the NFL draft, there's not much money you're going to get. It's kind of set. In in baseball, you have a pool of money. Each pick you have in the first 10 rounds has been assigned a slot. You add up all those slots for your picks through the first 10 rounds, and that's how much pool money you have. You can't go over that. You can go 5% over before a penalty, and after that there's a real penalty of losing picks and things like that. So no one goes more than 5% over the pool. Now, you can spend that total pool however you want. 
you know, you might have $10 million in pool money. If you want to spend $9.9 million of that on one player and distribute the other $100,000 among your next nine picks, you can do that. Uh, there's obviously players who aren't going to sign for $1,000. You'd have to take guys who are, have no right to be there in order to, to get them. But you have every right to do that. And there are players, and, you know, Lighter's a good example, who try to price themselves up. And, and Lighter can say, I'm going to go back to Vanderbilt. Lighter can say, I don't need the money. And you know it's not a bluff. His father made $40 million playing professional baseball. He doesn't need the money. And mm. so, you know, you get in these kind of situations where, you know, kids throw out big money. There's, there's always the examples of, you know, to go back to the complications from having high school and college kids in a draft, you got a guy like Bubba Chandler, and Bubba Chandler is a high school hitter and a shortstop, and, a, and he also can pitch, and he's a two-way player, and he's very athletic. He's also committed to go play quarterback at Clemson. And so, you know, teams see him as kind of a low first-round pick, which is, you know, more of a $2.5 million player. He's saying, if you want me not to play football at Clemson, I want $4 million. And, and he has every right to do that. And go get your money, kid. I hope it works out for him. Yeah, it's it, it's amazing how much how much room there is for that kind of stuff in the baseball draft as opposed to the others. I have no idea if there's room in the hockey draft, but I know there really isn't in uh, in, 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 the, in the bigger sports. All right, um, as we move forward in another episode of Kevin Explains It All to You, um, round one tonight plus compensatory draft pick, uh, compensatory balance round A. When we talk about comp picks. That if if let's say the Cubs allow Javier Baez to go to the end of the year, he's a free agent. They offer him the qualifying offer of one year, 18 mil. He turns it down, signs somewhere else. Their comp pick would be in this balance round coming after round one. Or is there a chance they don't get it until balance round B, which comes after round two? What are the differentiating factors there, if you know? Oh, it's complicated. I wish I could tell you exactly which round that would actually be in. But it will be in comp round A or comp round B. It depends on how many free agents they have. Like, they're not going to get two comp A picks. So, you know, a better example might be, you know, if they give Bryant a qualifying offer and he turns it down and they give Rizzo a qualifying offer and he turns it down, those guys both go somewhere else. They get an A pick, then a B pick. They're not going to get two A picks. Okay. Um, this is, you know, this is part of the free agency world and part of the draft world. And it's, you know, it's, it's the reason why the draft actually is part of the, the CBA um, is because of the, its connections to free agency. Uh, I mean, that said, not to go on a tangent, Comes off for Javi Baez a one-year deal at, at eighteen and a half million. He'll be fool not to take it because he's not going to get anywhere close to that free agency. Yeah, really. Yeah, it, it, you think now that the market has developed, obviously Correa has exposed himself as the much higher-end free agent. Corey Seager battling injuries. Trevor Story, but still, all three of those guys. You think Marcus Simeon gets more than Javi Baez in free agency? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I know. It, it, <laughs> I know Cubs fans love Javier Baez, and Javier Baez is, is you know as entertaining a player as you can get. He's a really good defensive player. He has phenomenal power. He has a 284 on base percentage this year. He has 115 strikeouts. He's not getting elite money. Period. Hmm. So, 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 how does that factor in then? If you are Jed Hoyer and you're thinking you you might not even get that comp draft pick, you know? So, because I've been thinking this for a while, been wondering. It, is it possible that a team believes in its amateur scouting more than its pro scouting to the point that instead of taking somebody else's prospects, um, you know, in, in trade for Javi Baez, that they'd rather just take the possible comp pick and that it doesn't feel as 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 disparate in terms of value as perhaps it reads on the page? 
Yeah, I don't, sometimes you think like that. Sometimes it depends on when you think, um, you know, your window will be, if you will. You know, if you think you can be better in two years, you might rather have the pro player. But in general, teams are just saying to themselves, you know, especially the Cubs in, in, with a case like Bryant is, you know, we know it's just a rental. You know, we know you're only getting this player for two months, but whatever you offer us has to be worth more than the comp pick or we're just going to take the comp pick. And, you know, we're, we've reached a point where, um, I mean, we all know how the Cubs are playing and, 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 you know, they've plummeted in the odds. You know, our fan graphs, we have a playoff odds chart. And, and you know, the Cubs are a 25 to one shot to even make the postseason at this point. And so I think they're, they're going to move by, by all accounts, talking to people with other teams. It sounds like they are starting to explore, if you will, uh, some trade talks on, on some of these expiring contracts. And so, you know, really, I think they'll just be looking for, we can get the comp pick, so the offer has to be greater than the comp pick. Hmm. Um, I, I've been thinking about this, this rebuild, what, or not rebuild, reload, whatever the hell they're going to call it. What is, what, what, I wonder how long you think that they're going to allow themselves to not be competitive at the major league level. I, I wonder how long ownership would allow that and what the goal is going to be for Jed to come out of this. Go into spring training 2023, uh, feeling good about themselves as a division contender, something like that. I mean, you, know, you talk about Jed. I think a lot of that is up to the Ricketts. You know, it's it's, it's we we get mad at GMs a lot, and 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 at times with good reason. But at times GMs are absolutely handcuffed by the whims of ownership. You know, if you tell Jed he can spend two hundred and ten million dollars on payroll, can turn things around pretty quick and fill some holes pretty well. If you tell him he's limited and he can't sign big name free agents, then it's going to be a slower process. So I think it's it's up to the Ricketts as much as it is to Jed. Interesting. Um, Kevin, um, uh, I'm reminded of a detail in the competitive balance uh, draft picks by the texture Jim, Jim and Lockport. Um, and also now looking at the rule that six clubs are awarded picks in round a based on a formula that considers winning percentage and revenue. Those six teams um, that will not change for the CBA through 2021 will switch picking in round a and B in alternating years, yada, yada, based on market size and revenue, the Cubs, uh, uh the, in the big market will be in round in the B round of competitive yeah, the card, balance. The card, and the St. Louis Cardinals, for some reason that I can never explain are one of those teams. They are. It's yeah. amazing. Isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It, it, Bad it really formula. is. <laughs> uh, well, God, if only I knew who to blame. Manfred, Manfred. Um, thank you, Kevin. Enjoy the draft and uh, enjoy your day. You're the goods. Appreciate I'll, you. I'll try my best. All right, man. Thank you. It's Kevin Goldstein joining us from Fangraphs right here. Yeah, thanks for that, Jim. It, it's a funky thing, but how about that? How about the national perspective from a scouting guy that Javier Baez would be a fool to not accept a qualifying offer? What does that do? What, what does that do to your thought process? Goodness. 670, the score is where you are. We have some uh, open phone lines coming up later on in the show. But in a few minutes, we're going to talk to Jess Kleinschmidt, who covers both the Giants and the A's for NBC Sports Bay Area. We'll talk about those teams and what they might want in terms of Chris Bryant or Craig Kimbrell or Andrew Chafin or Javier Baez or... Anthony Rizzo? Did he say Anthony Rizzo, too? Did he really just say that part out loud? And we don't have anything official uh, from Wrigley, but we do have the removal of gum and seeds and the like from the dugout, which the writers are probably correctly perceiving as 
uh, knowledge of an impending postponement. As soon as we have anything official on that, we will let you know. Until then, it's hit and run with me and you. Speaks on the score. Sports. I think that is a, it is a challenge. You know, certainly, um, you know, we've had to you know reorganize some things and and um, make sure we, we were you know, scouting the right things and, and, and thinking about the right things. And um, but listen, that, that's our job. You know, and we have to work the hours and make the phone calls and, and uh, dig to find the right information. So um, that's what we have to do. And I think we, you know, we'll certainly do it. And we have a lot of really good people working on it. That is Jed Hoyer talking about the transition from buyers into sellers. Life comes at you fast, Ferris. Yes, it does. There's a uh, compendium of draft rumors that keeps getting added to on MLB.com. And one day last week I was reading it and uh, there was a Cubs buying rumor about Kyle Gibson and... Then like two items later, there was a Cubs selling rumor about Chris Bryant and the Mets within the same compendium of rumors. That's what happens when you go on a losing streak like that and you acquire clarity of a different kind. And that's where the Cubs are right now. We were talking to you earlier about how we ended up getting here. But I should tell you that the Cubs game has been postponed today. It has officially been postponed The Cubs will make this game up as part of a doubleheader, a split doubleheader on the 24th of September with the Cardinals. Today's game is postponed, and that probably means a slightly shorter hit and run as we were due to get out of here about 1235, 1240 for pregame. So it may be a little bit before that. Um, But, you know, the games have reached the point where they are secondary to the storyline, and that's an unfortunate place for games to be, especially in the middle of July. It's a place that Cub fans have not been in a long, long time. Texter says, the one thing that the Cubs brass won't say is that the core is not as good as other cores in MLB. That that is why they are where they are. That's why when they do say it, like there was a telling moment towards the end of 2019 when Jed Hoyer was on with our afternoon show and admitted that the team was not as good offensively as they expected them to be by this time. And it's a, it's an unfortunate thing to, uh, it's an unfortunate thing to have to um, have to admit. And yet there it is. And they tried a lot of different things to get them better, but no, they end up where they are now, which is in a place where they're selling. Let's talk to buyers in better baseball moments than the Chicago Cubs fan base is. We go out to the hotline uh, to the Circa Resort and Casino hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And that's where we find Jessica Kleinschmidt from NBC Sports Bay Area, who joins us right now on Hit and Run. Good morning, Jessica. Thanks for the time. How are you? Morning. I'm great. And you get yourself? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm delightful. Working in a two-team town where we had, it seems, one official year of crossover of the winning window. That was last year where we had yeah. Crosstown World Series dreams. They both made the playoffs. And that was that, at least for the foreseeable future. You're in the middle of another one. How many years, how many years have the Giants and the A's both been good and headed towards the playoffs? Seems like a lot over the last decade or so. 
Yeah, and it's very rare that they're crossing over. So this this season, like you kind of mentioned with last season with Chicago, it's it's kind of cool to see. And it looks like they kind of flip-flopped. It's like the A's heading into the season were the, the favorites. And nobody could have predicted how the Giants were going to do. So I would say the last time this happened, maybe I was still in diapers. I don't really know. It's been a while. <laughs> well, uh, looking at the Giants, uh, I'm thinking – that they, I mean, what would they want? Do they want Craig Kimbrell? Do they want Chris Bryant? He can play the outfield, you know. Uh, I, I know, you know, he played like 46 games in the outfield so far. What, what are the, what's the trade appetite for the San Francisco Giants who find themselves in first place ahead of both Dodgers and Padres? Well, who wouldn't want Chris Bryant, right? Um, and I feel like it's, that's actually kind of a tantalizing idea only because Evan Longoria's health has been kind of up and down. Um, so I love that thought but I believe the last I heard was they're looking for a power bat so of course Chris Bryant does fit that and of course you mm-hmm. mentioned Craig Kimbrell that's certainly something to pay attention to but the last time we all talked to Farhan Zaidi he said that the pitching is always going to be something I feel like it doesn't matter what team you are it doesn't matter how deep you are with pitching you're going to want to go toward that route he wasn't that specific whether he wants somebody coming out of the bullpen or a starter um, but I feel like you know covering the A's right now they definitely want some bullpen help, so I just feel like the bullpen market's going to be pretty spicy. Uh, so between the pitching and then a power bat, I feel like that's kind of the same thing across the board. But that, those are the two main things that Zaidi mentioned recently. Well, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Tyler Rogers is really good and really funky and and yeah. different the way that he comes about it. I like it. He throws. I love the fact that Kent Colvey was watching one day and said, that's my pitch. It's like this mm-hmm. sidearm rising, rising curveball thing. Um, if, if the Giants grabbed Kimbrell, would Tyler Rogers comfortably slide into setup? Would he be willing to do so? I definitely feel like he'd be willing to do so. And it, I don't feel like it matters 100% where he is because obviously the closer role is something he could take care of and the setup man something you can take care of, especially with that funky – presentation I could watch him pitch all day so if I'm not watching the first few innings the moment I hear Rogers is coming in I stop what I'm doing grab some popcorn and watch so he's very open to it which is great and I feel like you know it's difficult to, to see how a guy like that could be in the closer role because you know how the closer roles are they just kind of want to get the job over and done with not that he doesn't do that but yeah he's very much open to that and I feel like uh, the Giants are as well and he's come through very very clutch if you don't just concentrate on what he's doing as far as the actual throwing ability itself, it's going to throw every single person off, no matter what the deal is. And I think he even threw to somebody like Joey Votto, and he actually did a pitching breakdown. And if you can kind of get Joey Votto on your toes, I feel like you're going to be a really, really successful pitcher. So I think any role that he's given, he's going to thrive in. So you bring somebody else into the picture, I'm sure they've thought about that as well. All right, what can you tell me about Joey Bart, the catcher who just came up and made his debut? Buster Posey goes to the injured list. Um, Chadwick Trump is another catcher who's been up instead of him. Joey Bart is, if he's not number one, he's number two on the Giants prospect list. Yes, the Cubs have Wilson Contreras, but he could play the outfield. Um, and, and I'm just wondering about Joey Bart. Is he, is he potentially available, and should Cub fans be dreaming of him? I feel like Cubs fans definitely should be dreaming about him. Now, Joey Bart's a big wild card for me because when you attach that number to a prospect list, I it, it's difficult for me to kind of open up about that because I have talked to prospects about this, and they're very weird about those lists. But I feel like Bart just needs more of the exposure. Now, he was brought up a little bit quicker last season because of the compacted season. He wasn't able to obviously play in the minors, so his ETA was kind of rushed up. But when he did, I think his first game, he hit like a double, so he definitely came through clutch. He's got the power, 
And the only thing that would be kind of questionable, and I haven't checked in on his defense, is the way that he was catching the ball from behind the plate. But I feel Mm -hmm. like after a little bit more game scenarios, he's going to be really, really good. I mean, you mentioned Chadwick Trump as well. He's strong. He's got that power, too, and just an all-around great guy. So I feel like Bart would be great any team, but I feel like if you do have a Cubs situation where they're going to give him more exposure – definitely pay attention to that guy um and i feel like so much attention was on bart because you know buster not only opted out but then he's been riddled with all those injuries so there's not that much attention on him anymore uh, because buster's having like a 2015 season again it's kind of beautiful to see um so definitely pay attention to that just because i feel like in another organization maybe he'll get more exposure but with buster Mm. kind of injured right now i think buster's gonna be fine coming back from the all-star break with that weird thumb contusion um but he's, I feel like it's a guy that everybody should be paying attention to across the league, and that's, that's Joey Bart for sure. All right, and then this Marco Luciano is the shortstop who's their number one prospect down in A-ball. I wonder how aggressive the Giants will be and if that's somebody that, that they could dream of. Difficult to answer, I know. It's very difficult to answer. I feel like he's one of the guys where if he was one of your children, he's probably your favorite child. You just won't admit it type uh-huh. of a deal. Um, yeah. Everybody has their favorite, let's be honest. Um, so I don't feel like there's going to – they're definitely going to listen to offers because it is Farhan. He's, he's definitely willing to make some risky moves, and we've seen that over the years. Um, and he's been able to get, you know, the Max Muncy's, the Mike Yastrzemski's of the world. So, But I feel like Mark Luciano is the Mike Yastrzemski and the Muncy kind of mentality heading into it. He's going to listen to stuff. I feel like if anybody's going to be asking about Luciano, they're going to pick up the phone. But I, I, I'd be kind of shocked if they, they let him go. Now, I've been daydreaming about the Oakland A's wanting Chris Bryant because they've got desperate outfield <laughs> <Me> needs. <too. laughs> they Right? Doesn't it make yeah. sense? Without, without Mark Canha and, you know, yeah. Piscotti has been injured for three years. And then yeah. here's my thing is that Dan Kantrovitz, the Cubs scouting director, was in the A's system for five years. So he may be able to – he probably knows of some jewels down there that he's been dreaming mm-hmm. about. Um, so – but – would the would the A's pick up? I think it's going to be six million dollars from the deadline on for Chris Bryant. Would they even do that? I doubt it. It's not a move that I see the A's doing. However, there have been times where Bean would make some kind of interesting move. But I mean, where, where would you put Chris Bryant? You have Matt Chapman there at third, who just is dominant. And yeah, Mark Canna um, definitely. When he's not in the lineup, you can feel it, but he should be back come the, after the all-star break or where the guys have their fingers crossed. And I feel like Piscotty, you're right, he does come riddled with injury, but then we're going to get Mitch Moreland back and then um, some of these bigger names. And then once mm-hmm. Ramon Laureano, I feel like he's kind of going down a little bit. Tony Kemp is kind of a little bit spotty recently. So I feel like that's going to be a thing. But the last time I talked to David Forrest, he's very much concentrating on that bullpen. If you remember, and you very well know, that A's got rid of, Liam Hendricks how can you replace the Liam Hendricks you can't you literally have to go Moneyball and add a few guys on there to make one Liam Hendricks he's irreplaceable but you have to do the best that you could and they're still trying to 100% figure out that closer role so I think they're going to concentrate on that a little bit more Um, Mm -hmm. a name that was attached to them recently was actually Nelson Cruz and um, I know I mentioned Mitch Mitch Moreland but he's been very very spotty Um, but when he is in he's very clutch and you never really know so I feel like that's more of, of their of their mentality or even like a Daniel Hudson, a veteran guy to come out of the bullpen uh, once he's healthy. Cause the national said that um, 
his injury isn't something that they should worry about. I just don't see the A's making a play like that. But as they do, like, good on them, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, you mentioned the closer. So last thing that Lou Trevino, is that is that a real closer that they feel good about? Or is he just the guy filling it? Maybe they thought Trevor Rosenthal was going to be that guy and he's hurting out for the year now. Yeah, Rosenthal for sure was going to be kind of the, the guy to take over that. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to see him throw a pitch. You did mention he's done for this season. Um, and I feel like, you know, with the way that he was with the Royals and the, and the Padres last year gave us such a good overview of what he could do. So yes and no, Lou Trevino definitely could get the job done. Um, and I'm not saying that you know, badly at all. Uh, and he's willing to do it. But even last night, you know, Cole or uh, Caprillion only lasted a little over five innings because he was ill. But so Lou Trevino had to put in multiple innings. So he's able to do a lot of those things. I feel like Diekman isn't really doing the Diekman things he's, he's capable of doing. Um, so I feel like that was kind of a, a conversation heading into the, the season as well. But Trevino has certainly stepped up, and you have a guy like Yusmero Petit who just has ice in his veins who does it. And I wouldn't hate maybe a J.B. Wendelkin kind of stepping up. Um, he just came back off of injury. But I don't know if they're going to search for another, an actual closer to kind of stamp that on him. But the thing mm-hmm. about that bullpen is, is any guy's willing to do it, and they've actually shown that they are capable of it as well. Hey, Jess, I'm curious, what's the dynamic between Giants and A's in terms of volume of fans? Um, and like, I, you know, I, I know, you know this answer. You know this answer. Come on. Well, I know, but it, I look, we deal with it with Cubs and White Sox, but now the White Sox are great. Like what happens in a year when the A's are great and the Giants stink, which happens? Do they get the appropriate amount of coverage and attention or no? Um, you're speaking to the person who literally blood, sweat, and tears tries to give the A's plenty of coverage. And no, that's the fans still don't show up sometimes. However, when they did make the AL wildcard game a couple seasons, they broke the wildcard attendance record. It was like over 55,000 fans. Uh-huh. And so it's, 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 they're capable of doing it, um, that's for sure. But, I mean, even if the Giants are really bad and the A's are thriving – Giants fans aren't going to come to A's games and vice versa unless it's like, hey, I got a free ticket, let's go. Um, but you know that answer. It's just, yeah, it just yeah, kind no, of is what it is. But I will say, even when it uh, was at limited capacity, um, it was kind of the same amount of people that showed up for A's games, so I will say that. But it's so loud that you wouldn't think that there were only 10,000, 12,000 fans out there. So I will say that they do have it going from the A's fans are very boisterous, so that's good. Because you do, you have to fill up for – everybody else going out there but yeah, yeah. You, i think we all know what that answer is <laughs> I, I i you know what I, I hope they do it uh, again if the a's make the playoffs they haven't done it in a while what was that thing where they did this thing where all the fans it looked like they were punching invisible monsters for a while it was the australian pitcher that was uh getting them grant. going remember that thing grant, grant yes Balfour, yeah the, grant uh, Balfour. The, what would they call it the rage Balfour, yeah, yeah, right? It was yeah. just uh, the fans raging at invisible monsters. I loved that thing. That needs to be alive I agree. still. I right. agree. Well, that's, that's, okay. I mean, we probably could have brought it back with Liam, but, you know, that's too soon to bring up. Yeah, we're enjoying him. We're enjoying Good. him. He's an entertaining Good. I human. I hope so. Nothing Good. better happened to him. You better be taking great care of him. All right. Didn't know <laughs> he was your property, but understood. <laughs> Jessica, thank you. Appreciate it very much. You got it. That's Jessica Kleinschmidt from NBC Sports Bay Area. Yeah, I mean, I I love that thing about A's fans. I know, I know that's how they're dealt with, but and that's neither here nor there. It is hit and run on 670 The Score. If you're looking outside and you're like, man, it's dreary. I wonder if the Cubs are going to play today. The answer is no. That game has been postponed. 
It will be made up as part of a split doubleheader between the Cubs and the Cardinals on the 24th of September. That means there's one more segment of me on Hit and Run, and you're welcome to dial it up and get involved at 312-644-6767 if desired. I've saved some of your texts as well on how the Cubs got here. So we'll talk about that next as well, right here on Hit and Run on The Score. I don't see none of us uh, arguing any any pitch or any 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 pitch close to the zone, and we heard, we got hurt tonight uh, on the two two pitch to one two pitch uh, to Edmund. I think that, that the pitch was right on the middle, but like I said, we didn't argue. Uh, I think we need to do a better job right there. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel Sundays nine a.m. to noon. Some pointed words last night after the game from Wilson Contreras. We played a big chunk earlier in the show. It's a, it's a very challenging moment here for David Ross and for those Cubs players to remain focused, to continue to give good at bats. I know it has been a violent and ugly slide that has led them down to where they are, but still got to show up every day and play focused, play well and give everything you got. Here's Wilson Contreras talking about the effort that he did not think was there last night. The way I play is not going to change. That's on everybody's uh, work ethic and, 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 and job. We had to win as a team, but also cannot um, ask everybody to play like I do or to play or to play like Bias and I play. Everybody's different. I know that they might be tired, but... I mean, I'm here to win. I'm, I'm here to win. I'm here to compete. And uh, that's what I like to, to have from, from everybody else. That's heavy stuff. It's Wilson uh, pointing out that he and Baez play hard all the time and not everybody does. Um, and that, it, look, that has potential to be very divisive. It really does. And I hope that is not the case. Um, and I hope that this stuff has come to light. Maybe today, maybe today has been an opportunity for them just in the past couple hours, even just to hang around and talk with each other about that. Because um, and let's play this one, Mike Rankin, where, where Wilson said he has a lot of things that he wanted to say. This was in response to the media saying, Wilson, you're a leader. Have you said this stuff to your teammates? There's a lot going on. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that, that I would like to say, but I'd rather keep it to myself than, than say it. So I said So he said rather keep it to himself than say it. But now he said it to the public, and I'm sure word has gotten back to the players. So, um, you know, this is a time for some uncomfortable conversations. So how did, you re- how did you interpret when he talked about the effort level and referenced himself and bias to the rest of the team? Uh, I, I, I interpreted... I interpreted that as pure, pure effort. But now that you're saying that now I'm thinking about in terms of the demonstrative visual, visible effort in terms of yeah, how they right. go about stuff. Because Wilson has those unnecessary cat-like reflexes that, I, that I've mentioned before that are sometimes necessary. But so it, are you thinking about it in terms of that way, in terms of the visual of what it looks like? Well, I think it's, hard? you know, he wears the attitude on his sleeve and it's apparent, right, that he plays with a lot of energy. And when the Cubs went down in the fifth inning after multiple home runs, it seemed like all of their willingness to try to win that game went away by mm-hmm. body language and maybe attitude. Is and like I'm, we're not in the dugout, but Contreras has been a part of winning teams, and he's around these guys. And there's a lot yeah. of different names around him these days. So it's you know he's used to the competitive edge, and maybe he's not seeing that type of attitude anymore. 
he brings it every day, every game, and always does. And so does Javi. It's interesting because there's a text here. Baez plays hard? Ha <laughs> ha. And he's talking about, obviously, moments where he hasn't run coming out of the box. Or that moment a few weeks ago when he forgot how many outs there were. And that was a terrible and embarrassing moment. And he was benched for it. But yes, Javi Baez plays hard. Javi Baez plays very hard um, uh, all the time and goes very aggressively, sometimes too aggressively um, in terms of, of the swinging and the balance of, of the patience and such. I'll tell you what I saw last night. I saw a lot of pitches on the outside part of the plate and a lot of Cubs hitters still trying to pull those pitches for home runs as opposed to hitting the pitches where they are willingly going the other way, willingly sacrificing power for contact and having good contact based at bats. I didn't see a whole lot of that. There's a lot of times you don't see a whole lot of that. And that is troubling. It's troubling. And it's deceptively simple, this stuff. And it's about human Willingness, whether it's Jed Hoyer saying that when our offense functioned best, it was when guys like Duffy and Nico were in there and diversifying it, or whether it's Ron Coomer saying with me a couple of weeks ago, guys need to see that it's cool to make contact, or whether it's David Ross saying a couple of weeks ago, you know, batting average is still a thing. You know, it's okay to have a get a hit every once in a while. I mean, it it is it is a subtle but very obvious thing. It's a subtle thing probably to them. The hitter's involved, but it's an obvious thing to us. Don't worry about hitting the ball super stupid hard and up in the air and out 450 feet. Just hit the ball. I think that's such a good point because when you look at the way the makeup of the Cubs, like certain hitters, they are so stubborn in terms of the way that they are as a hitter. I get on base and I hit for power, but when it's a collective struggle and it's consistently bad in terms mm-hmm. of not making contact when is it on the individual to make an adjustment i don't it care it is on it, it is on it is absolutely on the individual well, i don't it care is, if your main source of value is in your power when you're hitting 220 over a stretch consistently and nothing's uh-huh. changing and you're swinging and missing at an alarming rate you got to do something different well let's see what happens because it's not just about the value because um, it, it, it is certainly partially about that because guys are used to getting paid for home runs and getting paid for power. But it's also about your ego and what you're willing to do and how you perceive yourself and chances you don't want to miss to be that guy. You know, we watched this with Kyle Schwarber like crazy. Now, is Kyle Schwarber taking a more contact based approach? No, he's just he's just having a lot more success at some of the high fastballs that he used to have trouble with. He's still not sacrificing for contact, but it's working for him on the power front better than it ever has before. Um, Javier Baez does not sacrifice for contact. Sometimes Anthony Rizzo does, and sometimes he doesn't. You know? Uh, Sometimes Chris Bryant does. Sometimes he doesn't. It can be a frustrating watch. That's for sure. But look, I love that Wilson Contreras said that. I just want him to make sure, I want to make sure that he says it to his teammates or that David Ross facilitates difficult conversations like that between Wilson and his teammates. That's where the learning is. That's where the growth is. Go for it. I want to say thank you to our guests, and they have been plentiful today because we wanted to acquire some knowledge. So thank you to Mike Persack from Pittsburgh, Kevin Hageland from Dallas, Mike Farron 
from out there in Colorado. Wayne Randazzo from New York. Kevin Goldstein from DeKalb, baby, where somebody is still putting slices of American cheese on cars in the middle of the night. And Jessica Kleinschmidt from San Francisco and Oakland. Thanks to Mike Rankin for doing a great job producing. Cubs are postponed because of the rain, which means that CBS Sports Radio is next. I'm Spieg saying thank you so much. Parkins and Spiegel all week starting tomorrow at 2 o'clock on 670 The Score. All right. Well, see you later. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 